Hi, folks. Keith Jones for Front Row Knowles. We appreciate your listening to our podcasts and all the things that uh, go into what we do in terms of watching Florida State Athletics. But we would remind you that part of Florida State Athletics is certainly Seminole Boosters. Uh, athletics can't do what they do without the support of you and without the support of Seminole Boosters. So we encourage you, if you're not already a member, consider joining Seminole Boosters. If you are a member, consider increasing your participation. Without Seminole Boosters, Florida State Athletics is going to be run of the mill. With Seminole Boosters, Florida State can work their way towards elite. And oh, by the way, they're doing pretty good on the football field. They're doing pretty good on the pitch for soccer. Uh, and they're uh, getting ready to do good on both the men and women's side on the hardwood. Join Seminole Boosters, support Seminole Boosters, and continue to support Front Row Knowles. Go Knowles! Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Tom Block and Keith Jones with you. We welcome you to Front Row Knowles. I still love you. It doesn't quite feel like a gut punch anymore. And I honestly, I'll just, I think it has to do with the way Jordan has handled this whole thing. He's been so positive about it. He's turned the page. So I think I'm, let's turn the page midweek. Let's go. Bottom line is, you know, the, the, the tried statement, you just have to, particularly when you got a rival game coming up against Florida. Um, I hope, Folks appreciate the fact that while we are, we're not continuing to talk about Jordan, that doesn't mean he's not in our thoughts and our prayers. It's just that you do have another game that's of some significance uh, that you've got to get ready for. And that's, that's the brutal reality of this sport. Uh, and, and same can be said for other sports as well. But, you know, once you go down, uh, the team has to refocus. They don't have the time, energy, or, or luxury uh, of, of spending time feeling sorry for themselves. Mike Norvell has said so far this week that the team has responded well that there's been good energy. And on the one hand, it's a rivalry week. They know what's at stake. They should be in that frame of mind. But on the other hand, and not without good reason, that team was stunned when Jordan went down at the severity of the injury. And it took the rest of the second quarter, really, until halftime for them to write the ship. So are you confident, Keith, that at this point they'll come to terms with, hey, Bad things can happen when you're playing football, but looking backwards in the rearview mirror does us no good as we need to look forward at Florida this week. Well, what what you do, or what at least what my experiences have been, both as a player a long time ago, and then you know just watching the game over the last forty years, is you know you you got to get past the shock of it, and and sometimes the shock of it's two minutes, sometimes it's twenty minutes, um, but now that you're in the game prep, particularly game prep for a rival. Uh, if you are unable to put that behind you, then you don't need to be on the field because you're not going to help this team at all anyway. We will turn our attention more to the X's and O's of this game. We'll talk about Tate Rotomaker and how he may fare this week with our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante. Uh, Keith, uh, all things considered, you got a coach's kid who played at a big-time high school, used to high-pressure games, who's in his fourth year, and there's not many – fourth-year quarterbacks anymore, I wouldn't think, are as talented as what Tate is, which is to say he's got the strongest arm of any quarterback on the team. So now, to be clear, he was number two for a reason. 
But I think if you lined up number two quarterbacks around the country, Florida State might feel pretty good about who they're going to put out there on Saturday. I would, and I am. And that's why I've said I, I will be shocked if Tate doesn't come in and handle this uh, with – with um, I'm, I'm not saying he's going to be Jordan Travis. I'm not saying he's going to, saying he's going to throw for 500 yards. Uh, but I, I think there's an expectation of reality and confidence that all of his teammates have that he's just going to step in and he's going to be more and better than serviceable and will do very little of anything to hurt the team in terms of mistakes. Uh, so I'm excited. I, I think I think it's going to be cool. We'll talk more about Tate and Florida State, Florida, and we continue on Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Time to open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And we say hello to our uh, good friend, our Osceola insider this week, Bob Ferrante. Bob, how are you, sir? Doing great. How are you guys? Doing well. Doing well. Are you surprised at all that Florida State is now number five in the CFP rankings? I I would love to give a a rant on that that players do not create schedules, that they play the games, they try to win the games. I'd love to give a rant on how this Florida State LSU game was scheduled more than four years ago, and it, it was at the time deemed to be of very much importance, but how somehow what I, what I don't get about this whole thing is on a week-to-week basis, the schedules seem to be an indictment of, of who you are based on how your opponent is doing at that moment too. Now Clemson all of a sudden is back in the rankings and that win means more than it did a week ago. And, and LSU's kind of bounced up and down. And so anyway, Bottom line, Florida State, just win. Just win two more games. It's not about winning with Tate Rodemaker. It's about winning ball games, And, and that's that's the goal regardless of, of who's on the field. But it just feels like a very, very weird week-to-week eye, eye test for me. It also speaks, Bob, to why, and, and Tom and I have talked about it at various stages over the last 10 years probably, why we need 12-team playoff and conference championships are automatic bids. I mean, that's that's how you mix the old school with the new school, and then you don't have to worry about this nonsense. Yeah, again, I wasn't hugely wild about 12, but I'm in total agreement on winning games, winning conference championships should mean something. Now, again, let's go this route. If Louisville somehow beats Florida State in Charlotte, all the best to the Cardinals. They've earned something significant. I'm not saying they earn a top four spot, but you would argue next year they would earn a top 12 spot under under your scenario. And I think that's very, very fair. And then you would say, well, does Florida State earn a spot based on their resume? But but yes, we, we have to go to the tangible things of winning. Uh, one good thing I do like about this committee, I, I have to say I'm not anti-college football selection committee. There are some coaches on this committee it includes Joe Taylor from Florida A&M, that he's had a history as a college coach. It includes Jim Grobe, Wake Forest, his brief stop at Baylor, some other stops. There are coaches in the room. I think they will emphasize wins. 
They will emphasize on-field performance. There will be some metrics, analytics blended in, of course. But I do like, I think that coaches are maybe those rational voices in the room steering the ship in, in hopefully a, a direction that, that that is fair for everybody. Yeah. The coaches are the rational voices. All right, Lord save us, Bob. I want to go back to your point about Clemson because I think that's a good one. Clemson was unranked most of the year, so Florida State got no credit from a national perspective standpoint. Utah was ranked most of the year, so Washington and everybody in the Pac-12 got credit for beating Utah, who is now not ranked, and Clemson is ahead of Utah. But that whole perception and narrative over the last six weeks is part of the reason, and I'm not being in Washington because actually we're going to get into dinging teams. I think Michigan should clearly be below both FSU and Washington right now. And I think you could argue that Ohio State should be too, based on how Notre Dame's season has turned out. That the, the lone, I mean, and Clemson's going to beat South Carolina this week. They're going to be eight and four, and they'll be 18 or 20 in the poll next week. So that's another quality win for FSU. Not to mention how many teams have beaten Clemson at home in the last decade, like Pitt and FSU now. I mean, so you should get some credit for it. Um, I don't know. I guess. Rather than continue to rant on that, I'll move to Boo Corrigan. So Boo Corrigan said that Jordan Travis's injury had no, no bearing on the ring, which I, I believe that's true, and I'm glad to hear that. I mean, in, in the aftermath of the game the other night, Dan Wolken from USA Today immediately tweeted that FSU should be in this week's playing rankings. Just because Jordan Travis was out, was out without ever watching them play. I mean, if FSU somehow wins these next two games in really ugly fashion – on a miracle defensive play, and Tate is terrible, I can kind of see the case, depending on who else wins. But you got to at least let him play and see what FSU looks like with Tate, don't you? Yeah, I think there's too much time between games here, obviously, for pundits to weigh in. Um, you know, I think Mike Norvell said it very, very well on ESPN Tuesday night. When the rankings need to matter, Florida State will be in position if it takes care of business on the field. And, and he's very right. He has not addressed rankings to the players. You can call that coach speak. I tend to buy it. I don't think he feels a need to address rankings directly to the players. There's just a ton of outside noise right now. I, I, I think to some extent, lean on the veterans, the experience of this roster to be able to handle and block out that noise and to say, okay, that's what the opinions are outside the room. We care about what the opinions are inside the room. Let's go to practice. Let's get better. Let's play a game. That's what they're thinking. and, And the best thing this team can do is exactly that, to go out, perform well, A, win the game, which is of paramount paramount importance, and B, if you play well, you'll you'll get the brownie points for for the eye candy part. I mean, that's all you can control. And I'm sorry, Tom, I'm gonna have to disagree with you if I heard you correctly. Boo Carrington, Carrington and the committee took Jordan Travis's injury into consideration. He can say they didn't, but they did. That's the reality of it. I think the only question he... I would have. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I want to hear this too. What makes you say that, Keith? I'm sorry? What makes you say that about Boo? Because I this week that if Washington won, FSU was going to drop a spot in the polls. 
but it's disingenuous to say they didn't consider Jordan's injury. You, you can't say that. You can't say that doesn't matter. It absolutely matters. And so you're being disingenuous and you're losing your credibility when you make that statement. And he should know better. His daddy was involved in the ACC. Boo's involved in the ACC. You know, that's going above and beyond to try to be transparent and neutral. Well, so I it guess comes across I, as false. It comes across as false. Yeah, well, it's kind of comical when the committee chair, I mean, I don't know what you have to do wrong to become chair of this committee and have to go out and defend the indefensible, but that's what these committee chairs do on an annual basis. Uh, I guess my point, going back to what Dan Wolken wrote, I'm just happy that, to your point, if the committee considered Jordan Travis's injury, they still had FSU at five, and they didn't say all of a sudden that Alabama's better than FSU without Jordan Travis. That so I'll, I'll take yes. Yeah, we are yeah. in agreement with that. I'll, I'll take that as a win. Well, we've been talking about this for weeks. The bottom line is Florida State's got to win for any of this to matter. So let, let's move it forward. I, we have all expressed our concern, sorrow, sentiment for Jordan Travis and the unfortunate way that his career ended. So, I mean, that goes without saying. I love Jordan. Is it just me is there, or are there part of you that are excited to see what FSU looks like with Tate at quarterback, just from the standpoint that you know the coaches, Norvell and Atkins, are having to go in, they're having to look at everything that Tate does better than Jordan does or what plays you can run or take advantage of this, game plan differently. And that's no disrespect to Jordan at all. I'm not saying Tate will be better. Maybe he'll be terrible. Excited to see what it looks like, if that makes sense. Am, am I alone in that? I, I'm excited to see what Tate looks like at the Swamp. I'd rather see that at a neutral field and not that kind of setting at night. Um, I, I guess my one concern, honestly, is what I've said for years to you guys. Florida State has to play well around the quarterback. I don't see an offensive line that's playing incredibly well around the quarterback right now. A lot of pressures were allowed when Jordan was in the game. Tate, Brock, if this offensive line... And yes, we can ding Florida's defense for all it's worth and how many 500-yard games they've given up. But if they are motivated, if they want to ruin Florida State's season and they want to come after Florida State, pressure, pressure, pressure. We know what happens with young quarterbacks, even though Tate is a fourth-year guy. Um, but, but honestly, yes, to your question, I'm very, very curious to see what Tate does because I think we have a view sometimes on the beat of, what we see from Tate in practice. And, and it's honestly, it, it's been somewhat up and down. We've seen a lot of positives. We've seen a lot of moments where he holds on the ball a little bit too long. He doesn't have quite that kind of touch on some of those passes. We've seen in games, he's been very, very sharp. He's been very, very poised. So w my fear, honestly, is you get a little bit of that tentative version of Tate, that guy who hasn't thrown, you know, a hundred passes yet. What kind of mistake might he make in the moment um that's i think what kind of worries you if you're a florida state fan that coupled with the offensive line issues but yeah for for mike norvell for alex atkins i think part of them might just say hey go back to the drawing board what are the best plays for tate what does he do well it's obviously he throws the deep ball incredibly well he's great on intermediate throws too um i wonder what does a screen game look like because on those little shorter timing passes where it all has to be just timed up so well, is that going to be something that, that Tate can capitalize on? Because 
those have been good moments for the offensive line as far as setting up screens. So I think there just are a lot of little questions within how it all fits together. And, and Bob, I think you're right on point. And it also centers around two specific um, concepts are not the right word, but uh, two specific um, approaches. Number one, putting in the game plan during the week, identifying the plays that you're comfortable with Tate running, uh, identifying the plays that minimize to whatever degree you don't have full strength in your offensive line. Um, you know, Trey and, and, and LT have got to be a bigger factor on the ground. So how, how do you plan for all that? And then the real test comes during the game when Coach Norvell is calling plays and, and, and how you're feeling about what you're doing and how, what your gut tells you versus what the, what the drive chart says and the down and distance says. And, and when Tate comes off of the field and you look him in the eye well, after that second series and after that third series, you know, what are you seeing? How are the, how's the team responding to him being uh, the guy? And all of that is going to be an ongoing process. It's going to be fascinating. Maybe, maybe I'm the only nerd in the group that, that pays attention to that kind of stuff. But that's what I'm excited about seeing. And I have every confidence. I told a couple of people on some radio shows I did earlier this week. I have every confidence that Tate, I'm not saying he's going to go in and throw for 400 yards and be a world beater. But I have every confidence that Tate will do what is asked of him based on that game plan and based on the feel that Norvell has in calling the plays. And that part's exciting to me. Heath, just to confirm, you are the only nerd on the show, by the way. Um, Bob, if you're Florida, Just remember, Tommy, just remember, Tommy, it's better to have been a nerd and, and not be one than to never been one to begin with. I hear you. I hear you. For both of you, if you're Florida – do you blitz and put pressure on Tate to try and for you know? Do you do you go aggressive, or do you go the other way and just try to put everybody in coverage to really confuse them, or do you mix it? I mean, how do you think they play this? Hmm. AJ, what do you got? I, I say you blitz him early. You blitz him early and see how he reacts. If he burns you a couple of times, then you drop eight and make him dink and dunk it down the field. Uh, but I think you have to be aggressive. You have to be aggressive. That's a bold call if you're on that defensive staff for Florida because if, if Keon and Johnny are as healthy as we think they are, I mean, Tate can throw the long ball and he can throw the back shoulder. You just got to give him a Mississippi, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, get the ball out. Uh, but that's the approach I would take. I would make him prove that he was up to it. I, I think and I'm that makes sense. With you. Yeah, yeah. The only question I would ask is without knowing Florida's personnel, like I don't. I know some of the stats, and Florida's given up so many chunk plays in that passing game. I think they're maybe the nation's leader in giving up passing yardage plays of, say, 20, 30 yards plus. If you don't have confidence in that secondary in one-on-one situations against Keon Coleman, Johnny Wilson, maybe it's a Jaheim Bell too, right? Because Jaheim runs that seam route so incredibly well. If you don't have confidence in those DBs, then, whoa, how do you feel about, hey, I've got to apply pressure? Maybe you think it's a necessity, or maybe you think you have to drop. So I am with you. Bring pressure, see how Tate adapts. That's that's one of my big questions, too, is just how much pressure can Florida put on Tate and the offensive line? Tight ends are going to be big this week, too, because I really feel like 
See, the thing we've never seen, we haven't seen, we've seen Tate as a reliever. We haven't seen Tate as a starter, say, for the one time when he was a freshman. So with a whole weekend here and with Norvell scripting it out, I mean, there might, I, I would imagine there will be a lot of high percentage, easily completable, build your confidence passes in the first two drives of the game. Uh, just just to get them comfortable into the game. And I think the tight ends could be big. Florida's linebackers have not been good this year. But, I mean, we'll see. I, like I said initially, I'm I'm excited about it. It is it is weird how the dynamic has changed uh, without Jordan. I mean, there's still pressure. You want to win. You want to be unbeaten. But it feels different because all of a sudden the expectations are lower. So just go in and play football. And I still like the 85 Florida State has or the 84 without Jordan over how many are healthy for, for Florida right now. All right. We're going to do something we have not done in a long time, Bob. We'll do it right after this. And that's talk FSU men's basketball. That's coming up right after this on Front Row Knowles. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom Block, Keith Jones, Bob Ferrante continues uh, with us, our Osceola insider. Bob, the men's hoops team is 4-1. and one. Now, I'm not proclaiming to down the next territory, but considering they only won two games in non-conference a year ago, to get out to a 4-1 and one start and win that tournament in Daytona, beat a ranked Colorado team on Tuesday, without two key guys that they were counting on, that feels like uh, not insignificant for Leonard uh, Leonard's team right now. What do you think? I didn't see this one coming. I'm not sure a lot of people saw this one coming. You maybe thought UNLV was a, a good matchup, but Colorado being a top 25 team, being somebody who could really rebound. And I think we are seeing that's one of the biggest deficiencies early for Florida State is rebounding. That's where Florida got them. Colorado had a good edge there, 46 to 38. But you have to really like what Florida State has done, kind of rallying around the personnel that they have. Um, I think we're seeing Jameer Watkins in a little bit of a point forward type of role. Um, again, with all due respect to Jalen Worley and, and Shane or Jackson, these are not the kind of primary point guards that are going to get you very far in, in a 40 minute version of a basketball game. But what Jameer does as far as his vision creating for other players, um, guys, I, I've taken a little bit of a leap here. I don't know if Jameer is, is Terrence Mann esque. But he tends to do a lot of things within that box score. He does not just the scoring. There's rebounding. There's assists, steals, defensive effort, intensity. I think he makes guys around him better. There's some really good basketball players. It's really about seeing them mesh. But they've got four wins already. I think it took them until mid to late December last year to get four wins. So a really impressive performance over in Daytona. Yes, comes after that asterisk of what happened against Florida, but I think this is this is really encouraging just for building confidence for these guys. I think one of the things that I've been impressed with guys, both in terms of discussion and coaches bringing it up, as well as what you're seeing on the hard court, is a, a kind of a rededication to that defensive intensity. Uh, I mean, the the prior prior clubs struggled so much on the offensive end that they had to spend so much time on the offensive end that the defensive, uh, as Leonard liked to say, the defensive principles kind of got away from them. 
But this squad, although by no means are they, you know, as good as as, as teams of the past have been defensively, they are showing a, a, an acumen and a, and, a, and a desire to be good at that part of the game, which has been missing for a couple of three years, in, in my estimation. Yeah, I think That's desire is desire is the key That's word there, Keith. It's a want to. Go ahead, Bob. Sometimes the, the the box score can be a little bit misleading on the whole what's a turnover, what's truly a steal number. But you look at 17 steals from that game against Colorado, and it makes you kind of go, wait a minute now, that's a number, right? I mean, that's just not not like 8 or 9 or 10. That's a number. Now, there were a couple of times when you saw the game and, and those those steals did not become points on the other end. It was followed by another turnover by Florida State. So the goal is make the fast break valuable, make defense create offense for you. But yes, to see this kind of desire, uh, we didn't see this kind of, what's the old Hamilton term, heart and hustle. Uh, we didn't see a, a ton of that last year. Well, and the other part is, you know, you know the opponent's going to get 60, 65 possessions a game. So if 17 of those were thwarted by whatever you classify it as, then you've got a, a somewhat lower scoring game. So when you are a little bit lacking on the offensive end, particularly the three-point shot and the inconsistency there, at least early on, I mean, you just start playing the numbers. It's like field position in football. Yeah, you might have gone three and out, but if the punter gets you 58 instead of you know 37 after return, that's not a bad series. So I'll be honest, Coach Hamilton's been, I think, a little bit vague just because of the uncertainty of the timeline. He's kind of mentioned Georgia as a potential. So that's a week away. Of course, it obviously gets a nice break here between Thanksgiving and then, you know, prepping for that ACC, SEC challenge game. I'm not so sure that that we'll see Ganey right up to what next Wednesday, but if he can come back, you know, at, at any point early December, just to get the conditioning ready for the ACC schedule. Um, yes, I know Carolina's early and, and that's going to be a tough one just to see how many minutes he can give, but you feel like Jalen Ganey can at least be someone who's a defensive presence in the lane to alter shots, to alter the thought process of a guy who is, oh, I'll just drive the lane on Florida State. They don't have an interior presence. And we saw that a lot these last, what now, five games. Drivers were just finding all too easy paths to the basket. There were some, what do you call them? I almost call them trailing blocks because you've got a taller, longer athletic forward who's coming behind and swatting away a ball those are great but to have a a Jalen Ganey or a big center which this team doesn't really have um, you need a guy like Jalen Ganey moving forward especially as you get to Georgia and the ACC schedule the baby steps guys are you you just want opponents thinking you don't want them going to that rim knowing you want them thinking and you want them challenged and that that will be the first of the baby steps of, of trying to get that true rim defense that we've been so used to in, in the bulk of Leonard's career. And apologies, I think I said Justin, not Jalen. Do we know about uh, Primo Spears? Is he officially ineligible or not approved by the NCAA, or do we know, not know, Bob? Unfortunately, he's still in limbo. I, I did say he was traveling to Daytona, so it, it is a good sign that he's with the team. He's able to work out, practice, do all the normal things. But this this could be just a, a who-knows kind of limbo, unfortunately. Yeah. All right. Well, on the women's side, real quick, I know the women are playing a tournament in Vegas the next couple of days. They're 4-0. and 
And I wasn't watching the game last week, going back to Friday when uh, Latson, when FSU beat Florida and Latson scored, I think, 35 points, including like 20 in the fourth quarter. But she's a sophomore, and I feel like she's flirting with, and maybe she's not flirting anymore with being the best player in FSU women's basketball history. Is that hyperbole, Bob, or is that legitimate, do you think? Yeah, you guys might have to help me out because I, when I think of the best player in fourth state history, I'm often thinking of um, a Natasha Howard, right? Somebody who was a, a double double a lot of nights. But it's tough to compare Natasha Howard to a Tanaya Laps in different positions. I'm not sure if I can think of too many guards who are that good. But TC Romero, really, really good, obviously, won a medal in the Olympics. I mean, we can think of some recent names, right? But what what Latson can do, and and now that we think she's healthy, um, very much a streaky scorer. But when she gets hot, when she gets going, her ability to I think that fearless quality we we see a lot of that. Just her willingness to drive, her willingness to put put her body out there and, and take some hits going down, you know, to the to the bucket. She's she's probably one of the most fun to watch guards that that we've seen in four state basketball history for sure she's um she's the engine i think for this team yeah and and, and i'm thinking and i'm not I'm, I'm the older guy so i have less brain cells to think but you, you make a good point about you know being being a front court versus in the back court and then secondly uh i i don't recall anybody that has consistently averaged the points per game i mean the other players that you talk about they had assist they played defense they had steals not saying that she doesn't do those things, but her scoring average uh, really distanced herself, um, I- at least in the backcourt, based on my memory. Yeah, maybe maybe we leave it at the guard position for now. But the point is, she's really, really good, and people should get out and watch her. Um, we're in this period right now, you know, this crossover time of year where sports are overlapping. And uh, Florida State, frankly, is phenomenal right now across the board. We just talked hoops, but – the, the volleyball team hosts Notre Dame Saturday at 2, and if they win that, they're ACC champions. To go with FSU's soccer ACC championship, to go with the football team playing for an ACC championship next week against Louisville. So, I mean, we're a week and a half maybe from FSU having three conference titles through the fall sports season. I mean, that that's a pretty good run right now, Bob. Pretty impressive run. Maybe uh, Jim Phillips has a little bit of success initiative dollars to uh... – Backup said success on the field, or, or is that a little, a little too close to home for, uh, for Michael Alford and the board of trustees right now? Well, I don't. It depends on how well they're communicating with each other. Uh, <laughs> I, but I will, vo- I will voice this, guys. I think the soccer team is as dominant in the postseason as I've ever seen them. I mean, it's it's been, it's been lights out for those ladies. You know, I, I won't claim to be a soccer historian from the Florida State standpoint or, or be all that knowledgeable about the sport, but people like Arya Masudi and others who follow Florida State soccer and broadcast their games feel like this team is better than last year's team, not a knock on last year's team, right? Um, feel like Jordan Dudley, the freshman striker, is, is one of the best, if not the best freshman maybe that they've seen, and that's up there with a Dana Castellanos and a Jalen Howell and just a lot of other talented names here through history. So yes, if you're in town Friday, five 30, get out there and catch Florida state soccer, because it's, it's really 
um, a very special team. I, I think when you see a score like like five nothing against Texas on Sunday, you think was it really that that lopsided? Was it really that, that yes. dominating? Maybe yes, yes, <laughs> it, was. it was. Yeah, I was. I bought tickets to the game, and then I ended up being lazy, and I stayed home and watched it. And I mean, they scored like six minutes in. They scored again at the twelve minute mark. Then they got a PK. I mean, Texas yeah, didn't know what hit them. I mean, it was, it was that dominant. And uh, you know, we're not the soccer experts. We should get Aria or, or Trevor on, who also calls the game. They do a nice job calling the games. Um, it's a different approach under Penske. They're much more offensive. Uh, you know, it was a lot of possession with Krikorian, and you'd win games one nothing, two one. This team, though, just opens it up. I mean, it is. I mean, they hit the bar a couple times too. It could have been eight nothing. Um, but yeah. I don't know. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of intercollegiate sports, right? NCAA sports. But what Florida State has done in soccer over the last, say, 10 or 12 years, I don't know that there's many that are achieving. I guess Georgia football right now, right? <laughs> but, but but I don't know many others that are going to a college cup every year, and they're about to go back if they win on, uh, on Friday against a team that they beat earlier this year. And, and doing it with a coaching change. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Kirby Kirby's been at Georgia for a little while. Saban was at Alabama for a little while. I mean, you went from Kirby. a from a huge coaching change, and Penske stepping in and and arguably taking over a very delicate, difficult situation. And uh, I'm I'm telling you guys, I don't know anybody could have done it better than he has so far. Yeah, those were some big shoes to fill for sure. All right, Bob, what else did we uh, fail to cover here that's in the Osceola right now that our listeners should know about? Man, we've hit on a lot. I mean, like you said, it is the overlapping season. It's It's been uh, it's been pretty wild. And honestly, the transfer portal is going to open up in, in a couple of weeks right after the ACC championship game. So uh, December gets a little bit crazy, I think, for every college coach. And we'll start to see Penn go to paper, so to speak, with commitments, but also it will be interesting, I think, to watch how the Florida State football roster changes and, and who decides it's time to move on. They're lower on the depth chart. What Mike Norvell does as far as who he needs to bring in based on NFL draft stay or go decisions. This is, yes, all eyes are on Florida and then Louisville, but there's a lot of discussion, I think, about planning and moving forward. And, and that's what December is all about. So that's kind of a fun time, you know, for us to cover, for fans to, to observe, too. And the and the the signing date is the twentieth, correct? Is that the right date? Is is that right. not later than has norm has been the norm? Also, it feels pretty late. Yeah, yes, doesn't it? it does. It's yeah. I think it's the last Wednesday before Christmas, and that would be the twentieth. KJ. The weird dynamic this year will be uh, if Florida State. First of all, you just talk about a December. I mean, we've been you know the last few years we've only paid attention to signing day. Now you got an ACC championship game. You got a signing day. You got the potential that you might have the playoff on the other side of it, and then then the portals open. Uh, Bob, uh, I hope you already did your shopping because you're not going to have a lot of downtime here in the next month. Appreciate your insight as always, sir. Apologies to my wife. Christmas may not be all that great. You never know. Just take her to the bowl game. You'll score some points. All right, we'll take a break. Come back more front row nulls right after this. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. 
Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. We'll get back to football, KJ. I didn't think we should. We've glossed over a lot of the other sports so far this fall because the football team has been so good. But when you actually take a look and see that every team might win the ACC championship, there's only slight hyperbole there. It's pretty early in the basketball season. That's something to be proud of. And Florida State has always prided itself in, in comprehensive excellence, which I think is a Sandy Dallenbert, Dave Hart term, but it's been floated around for many years at FSU, and they're pretty damn good right now. And it's not, you know, it's not a one-year thing. I mean, you can go back three years and five years and ten years, uh, and all of these programs that have achieved some ex- excellence along the way. And again, as we talked about specifically with the, with soccer, you've done it with two separate coaches. But but one of the reasons that the the excellence is what it is is the longevity of the coaches. You know, with Coach Lonnie and 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 and, and you know, uh, Brooke stepping in for Sue, I, I consider that kind of a seamless thing. However long Coach Ham has been here, what is it now? Twenty three years, twenty four years for Coach Ham. I mean, there's there's just some continuity and some consistency there that is a little unusual in today's world. On the football field, speaking of consistency, I talked to Odell Hagens uh, earlier this week. And uh, he's been around Tallahassee as long as I have, KJ. So uh, we're, neither one of us is getting any younger. That's what I'm saying. But, uh, you know, he said something. It seems so cliche, Keith, when you when you hear coaches say it. But I was asking about the defensive line and, you know, keys. And the premise is just three words, and it's do your job. How many times have we heard do your job? And it sounds so simple. But you could look at last week when North Alabama's running all these trick plays, and part of it is, yeah, they got creative, but part of it was Florida State wasn't focused and guys had wandering eyes and they weren't disciplined for the people drives and then doing their job. And then when you get them dialed back in, do your job. Okay, I'm supposed to cover this guy here or I'm supposed to hit this offensive line in this way. It gets a lot easier. Well, and, and you made fun of me because uh, neither one of us, I think, went back and looked when I talked about 58 points unanswered, and you mentioned that Alabama might have had a similar amount in their ballgame. Uh, but the reality is you don't, you don't score 58 conse- – you don't go 58 to nothing against anybody uh, without being focused. Now, granted, they gave up 13 points, should have been 14 uh, to begin the ballgame. Uh, a lot of razzle-dazzle, the, the fake punt, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you take that fake punt out, and I think they had one other running play of over 20 yards. Uh, Florida State's defense held them to about 140, 150 yards of total offense for the rest of the game. Uh, that's a dominating performance, acknowledging Florida State was supposed to dominate. They were supposed to win that ball game. But once once you got past the heartache and the shock, of uh, of Jordan going down, uh, you know, this team did show some resolve. And, Tommy, they did it with second and third team players. I mean, Keon didn't have a big night. Johnny didn't have a big night. Benson and LT didn't have big nights. The, these were, you know, your second and third team people stepping up when they got an opportunity to perform. That's got to be encouraging. All of those names you just mentioned, Keith, I feel like are going to have big nights this week against Florida just from the I I don't know how to explain it I don't there was so much talk about Jordan and this is all positive I think Florida State in some ways had gotten to the point where well if we're struggling 
Jordan will get us out of it. We'll run Jordan. He'll get us out of it. Well, you and I would talk about, in case of emergency, break glass, right? In other words, Jordan's going to run. Well, now that's not there anymore, and it just feels like try harder is not the right way to put it. But it just – everybody is going to step up just a little bit more. And I know that's vague the way I'm describing it, but it feels like that might be what happens this week. I mean, Johnny Wilson had a huge game a year ago against Louisville when Tate played. We know what Keon's capable of. Jaheim Bell is getting healthy, and again, those Florida linebackers are not great. I feel like the tight ends are set, and and Florida State has used the running backs in the passing game very well this year with the screens and wheel routes. Just feels to me like all of those guys are going to play well on Saturday. When they came together Sunday and watched some tape, and they went in and out and practiced Sunday night, which is is Norvell's thing. You know, all right, you got Sunday. And you're off on Monday. You can think about it. You practiced yesterday. You're practicing today. You've got a pretty good practice on Thursday. Norvell still goes some walkthroughs and some things on Friday. So it's not like you've woken up in the middle of the first quarter and you've had two drives and you've gone three and out twice. And now all of a sudden, I need to play better. You've had six days to process the need to play better. And if you are, if you are what we think you are, you respond to that. And and not just one or two or four, you know, 20, 30, 35, up their game. And it's cliches and it's, um, you know, fill in whatever blank you want to. But you are doing it for Jordan out of respect for him uh, because you do not want to lose this ball game and, and, and have to, face Jordan Travis and and him ask you what happened and you have to give an answer to it. That is not a conversation you want to have. That is well said. All right, folks, we are out of time. Enjoy the game this week. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. Thanks for uh, being loyal listeners to Front Row Knowles. Keith, to you and Kathy and your family, happy Thanksgiving. We'll do this again next week. Same to you and Laura and your mom and everybody else over in uh, New Orleans. He's in New Orleans, folks. He's in New Orleans. He's got a long drive back on Friday and Saturday to get back to Gainesville. I'm just saying. I'll be there. I'll be there. Don't worry about it. I'll be there. 7 o'clock kick. We'll be on the air at 430. No worries. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. We'll talk to you next week on Front Row Knowles.